0: you ready for the word? We're going to get straight into it. We've done the 8am service. Some of you know the people at 8am are not very spiritual. (laughs) So I I hope I'm not upsetting it. I'm just just, I feel at home so I'm going to speak freely. I'll be honest with you. The people at 8, let's face it, it's a one hour service. They just want to get in, get out. (laughs) The people, is it 11.15? They're asleep right now. They do not put the Lord first in their life. But those of us in this service, how many of you know, we are the elite of Christendom. I don't even know if there's anything I can say to help you. You're already there. And uh, but it's anyway, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for good people. And uh, we just thank you for your love toward us. We've all got different challenges and stresses and we all come from different places. And yet each of us greatly loved of God. So I just pray no matter who we are, where we've been or what we've done that today. We would just sense your love in a brand new way. I pray help us to be better people because we're in the house of faith this morning. In Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning from probably my favorite Bible passage, Matthew chapter 25, which uh, is probably just not my favorite passage, but it also is an absolute key to understanding the Christian faith. Uh, Let me read it for you. Um, and then I want to draw out some, some points that will really help us in our lives. But it's the parable of the talents. Many of you would know it by that name. Let me read it for you if you're not familiar. It's Matthew 25:14. We don't have this on the screen behind me, so you'll just have to look in your Bible, look on your phone, or pretend if you just look in your lap like you've got something to look at. I'll read it for you. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man had received five bags of gold, bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, you knew I harvested where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in the bank. At least then I would have got some interest back. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to give you seven laws. Of the kingdom, seven laws of the kingdom that absolutely every believer should understand. If we're to serve Jesus well, and if we're to make the most of the opportunities God's given us, seven laws of the kingdom. Here's the first one that every person who wants to follow Jesus absolutely must understand. It's called the law of ownership. I don't know if you. Heard it when I read the story. But let me read the first verse of this story for you again. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered, here's the key word, his goods to them. He delivered his goods to them. In other words, it's his money that he allocated to the servants. Here's the law of ownership. It says that everything I have belongs to God. The master allocated his money, his wealth to the servants, which tells me everything I have belongs to God. How many of you know all the money you have existed before you were born and it will go on existing after you die. So it's not actually yours, but for 70 or 80 years, you get to use it. Job famously said in Job chapter 1 verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. I heard a story about a man who was very concerned that he would take his money with him when he died. And so he told his wife of a cunning plan. He said, sweetheart, I'm going to put all my money in bags in the attic. So when I die, as I rise up and ascend into the heavens, I'll snatch the money with me and take it into heaven. Well, sure enough, he put the money in the attic and some weeks later he died on his bed. After he died, his wife went up to the attic to see whether or not he'd been able to grab the money, but the money was still there. And she thought to herself, the silly fool, I told him to put the money in the basement. Job said. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Here's the point. This is the first fundamental principle that every Christian must understand. Everything I think I own is really on loan. Everything I think I own is really on loan. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says by his divine power, God has given us everything we need. James chapter 1 verse 17 says every good and perfect gift is from above. Think about that. Every good thing in my life is a gift from God now I know some people would argue push back and say well that's not true I worked hard for what I got I I I, by the sweat and, and toil of my own labor I achieved the things I have to which I would reply yes but who gave you the strength to labor who gave you the opportunity to work Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth this law of ownership is absolutely foundational. Everything I have belongs to God and has been given to me as an entrustment. You know, uh, the problem is that we forget, don't we? It's a little bit like uh, me uh, going away, and um, so I, I say to Pastor Adam, "Look, that piece of rubbish that you drive—I can't understand how you could drive that around the Capric Coast." So, look, I am going to be away, so I, look, just have my keys and take my—I'll be back in a week and uh, just and pastor adam would say oh i couldn't possibly drive your car I said, it's fine take my car i'll be back in a week and i'll just get the keys off you then he says well i, I promise i'll take good care of it i said I, I know you will it's fine and so i go away but after a week i'm delayed and so i ring pastor adam and say look i'm, I'm not going to be back when i thought i would i'm, I'm going to be at probably another few weeks at least he says well what about your car I said, Oh, don't worry about my car just, just keep driving it he says oh thank you so much i said it's fine well, a couple of weeks go by and and then, and then I ring him again and say, Pastor Adam, I thought I would be home by now, but I've been delayed. It's going to be a few months before I get back. He says, oh, is everything okay? I say, yeah, it's fine. Everything's, everything's going well and we have a bit of a chat. And then he says, oh, what about the car? I said, look, don't worry about the car. Keep driving it and I'll just get it when I return. Well, a few months goes by and I ring him and say, look, some stuff has come up. It's going to be probably a year before I'm actually back. He says, oh, well, things are going well here on the Capity Coast and we have a good chat about family and, and I say to him, oh, by the way, with the car, just keep driving, it'll be fine, I'll, I'll get it when I come back. Well, some years later, I return, I get an Uber to Pastor Adam's house and we sit down, he and Nita and I and we have a coffee and we chat and he asks about my trip and so on and, and then I say to him, well, like, I guess I should be going so um, can I, can I get the keys? He looks at me blankly and says, keys to what? I, I say, well, to my car. He says, what do you mean your car? I said, my car, in the driveway. He says, what do you mean your Since when has it been your car? I've been driving that for years now. And isn't that like us with God that we get so used to all the things He's given us we actually forget where they came from. This is why we give, in, this is why we tithe. The reason I need to tithe is I'm so prone to forgetting where everything came from in the first place. And so I thank God for the opportunity to tithe. Tithing protects me from thinking that what I have is actually mine. Everything I think I own is really on loan. And when I tithe on the first day of a new week, I remind myself, I don't actually own any of it. It's all from God. He owns everything. The law of ownership. This is the most fundamental thing of the Christian faith. Think about it. You don't even own your next breath. You can't even guarantee your next breath. So who are we to say, well, my car's mine or my home is mine or my money's mine or my future is mine? No, it all belongs to God. And that's the first foundational principle of every person who follows the Lord. If you don't understand God owns everything, you can never succeed in the Christian faith. Here's the second law of the Christian faith. It's the law of entrustment. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. Notice this, the amount differs, but everyone is entrusted with something. There are no, no talent people in Connect Church. Some of you might be five talents, some of you might be two talents, some of you might be just one talent, but there are no, no talent people in this church. Everyone has been entrusted with something. And this is the law of entrustment. It says, I get to choose what I do with what God gives me. It's amazing to me that in the story, the master gives five talents, but he doesn't give advice on how to use them. He just says, here's five talents, do what you want. Here's two talents, do whatever you want with them. And here's one talent. Look, it's totally up to you. All the trust that God puts in you and I. He gives us gifts. He gives us talents. He gives us opportunity. He gives us an allotted amount of time, but he doesn't give us dot points on what we're to do. He says, use your imagination. He says, be creative. He says, use your own initiative. God trusts us to do something with what he's given us. And he doesn't give us a script. He just says, the world is your oyster. Let's see what you can do. The law of entrustment says, I get to choose what I do with what God gives me. You know, um, God has given me time. He's given me giftings and talents and money. And I can waste it, spend it, hoard it, use it or investment. The, the point is, it's up to us you know um, every person gets entrusted with something and we're responsible to put it to work Uh, think about money for a moment money is an entrustment from God John Wesley said earn all you can so you can give all you can so you can help as many as you can sadly a lot of people decide to earn all they can put it in a can and then sit on the can (laughs) the point is God trusts us having invested into our lives to then make wise decisions and God says let's see you use your initiative your creativity and use what I've given you to make a difference in the world the law of entrustments means God is trusting us but you know one day we're gonna have to explain to God the choices we've made about what we did with the time he gave us, the talents he gave us, the giftings he gave us, the money he gave us, the resources he gave us, which leads us to the third law of the kingdom, and that's the law of accountability. The Bible says after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Accounts, the word accounts. The law of accountability says one day God is going to audit my life. Have you been through an audit? I remember leading our church, I was talking to our business manager who seemed particularly flustered. I said to him, John, what is going on? He said, we've just been given notice, we're going to be audited. And uh, he was very nervous. He should not have been because we were a very well-run organization. But just the fact that we were going to be audited made him a little nervous. If you've ever had the tax department audit you, it it gives you pause for thought. Well, we understand that, but we really consider the fact that God himself will one day audit each of us. And of course God is going to audit us because God's made an investment and is counting on a return on that investment. How many of you have got a share portfolio? Someone asked me the other day, what's the capital of New Zealand? I said about $5. And and, uh, and so if you've got a share portfolio, you would get a stock report. And you would look at how your stocks are performing. And what are you looking for? You're looking for a return on investment. No one gets a stock report and then doesn't care. You're looking to see, is there a return for what I've invested? If you own a property, you will oftentimes look at the real estate pages in the newspaper and see what is the property market doing in your area. And you're looking for some sort of return. You're looking for your home or your property to appreciate. Of course we care. So why would we think God doesn't? If we know how to invest and then look for a return, why would we not expect that God, who has invested so much in all of us, doesn't in like fashion look for a return on his investment into our lives? Romans 14 verse 12 says, Each of us must give an account of himself to God. Now, I don't want you to think badly or or to become nervous about this because there is nothing more exciting than being audited by God. When you're audited by the tax department, it's very different to being audited by God. I'll tell you why. Because the tax department are looking for how much more can they take from you as a result of that audit. But when God audits, it's with an entirely different attitude. Listen to this, Matthew 25, verses 20 to 21. So he who'd received five talents came and bought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five. I gained five more besides them. And his Lord said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. In other words, when God audits our life, it's with a view to reward us. He's looking for profitability so he can invest even more. This is what excites me about the Christian faith. I want you to look at the scripture. Um, Where is it? Let me find it for you. Matthew 25 verse 27. He says to the uh, servant who just had one talent and buried it. He said, You ought to have deposited my money and with the bankers so that at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Clearly the master was expecting a return on investment. And I honestly believe God expects a return on his investment in our lives. How different would our lives look? if every day we were cognizant of the fact that God is actually looking for, expecting, you see a banker on the front row nodding in agreement. Is it Hayden? How differently would we behave if we lived every day cognizant of the fact God is looking for a return on investment and he's looking with a view to rewarding where we are profitable? Let me bring it to the fourth thing. Here's the fourth spiritual law that helps our lives really to be fruitful. It's the law of utilisation. The law of utilisation said God expects me to return what he loans me so that he receives a return. The master, when he found that the one who received five, had produced five more, was very pleased with him. But the servant who had received one talent and then did nothing with it, it says, He who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. I was afraid, so I hid your talent in the ground. Look, Have what is yours. Now now listen to the master's response. The Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. That to me is a very harsh response. I mean, all he did was nothing. But it's fascinating to me that Jesus reserves in the gospels, perhaps his harshest response, not for someone who's been into drug, sex and rock and roll, but for someone who was invested with something and did nothing in return. Jesus calls him wicked. And so God defines as wicked misusing the resources, the time, the talent that he's trusted us with. In other words, it's a sin to be unfruitful in the areas where God's blessed you. It's a sin not to produce a return for the kingdom of God. The wicked servant buried his talent. He, he put it out of sight. He didn't want to face it. He's, he just tried to forget about it. How many of you know you can't please God by doing Nothing, doing nothing with what God's given me is inexcusable in the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11 verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can never please God by sitting on the sofa, maintaining the status quo. The only way to please God is to step out in faith and have a go at utilizing what God has given me. You know, the fact is God would rather you try to serve him in faith and fail, than do nothing and succeed. Think about this servant who had one talent, and he buried it with all kinds of excuses and justifications. I knew you to be a hard man. You you try to reap where you haven't sown and gather where you've not scattered. And and he had all of these excuses because he was playing it safe and not involved in the service of others. When when you start to utilise what God has given you, life takes on significance. Life takes on meaning. Instead of being excuse-focused, you're opportunity-focused. It's a law of utilisation. Everything belongs to God. He entrusts it to us. He expects us to do something with it so that He can come, take account, and reward us with even more. Here's the fifth law of spirituality in the kingdom. It's the law of faith. The law of faith says, faith in God rather than fear about outcomes is essential to success. Faith in God rather than fear about the, the servant with one talent. He was scared that if he invests, what if he lost it? What if I try and don't succeed? What if I step out in faith and, and, and no one accepts me? What, what if people reject me or don't listen to what I have to say? By his own confession in Matthew twenty five twenty five, he says, I was afraid. This wicked, lazy servant was motivated by fear. Notice this. He had a speech all prepared. When he met the master and had to give account, he'd already prepared a speech about how difficult it was and how tough it was and how afraid he was. And it's interesting to me that Satan usually attaches fear to the area of gifting that God's given us. He'd been given a talent, but he'd become afraid. What if I do something with that talent and lose it? And oftentimes the greatest area of fear in our lives is attached to the gift or the resource or the talent that God's given us. And so God's given you a great talent, but you're afraid. But if I join the worship team, what if people don't appreciate it? Or if I speak, what if people don't receive it? Or if I get involved in that era of ministry, what if it falls flat and it's not a success? And it's amazing how the enemy will use fear to stop you utilizing the thing that God has given you. Think about this in the era of finance. Well, well, if I tithe, what if I can't afford to buy McDonald's on the way home? And it's amazing when it comes to the era of money, how fear comes. And, and what's the point of fear? The enemy always uses fear to try to get us to do nothing with what God has entrusted us with. Because we're afraid if I do something with it, I might lose and be worse off. If I give in the offering, I won't have anything left. If I give, where am I going to get money from to pay my bills? Proverbs 11 verse 25 says "The generous will prosper. He who waters others will himself be refreshed. Now, notice this because there's some criticism in the church that some people just give to get. Well, if you give, God's going to bless you. And the Bible does teach us that if we give, God's going to bless us. But that's not our motivation, it's just what gives us the courage to give. Because it takes courage to give. It takes courage to volunteer your time. It takes courage to get involved in different ministries. The enemy will often attach fear to it. And so God makes us a promise. In the era of finance, for example, he says, if you're generous to others, God himself will reward you. Now, it's not our motivation. I'm going to be generous, so I get rewarded. But it's rather to give me courage that as I'm generous, I'm not going to be worse off. So rather than shrink back in fear, I'm actually going to step out in faith and not allow fear to paralyze me. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Listen to it again. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for everyone who comes to Him must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Here's the sixth law of the kingdom it's the law of application. This is a very important law to understand. It's the law of use it or lose it. Listen to this. This is an amazing thing to me. Matthew 25, verse 28. Therefore, this is what Jesus says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he'll have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is not a socialist. He's certainly not a communist. Jesus says, if you don't use what you have, it'll be taken from you and given to someone who already has an abundance, but they have an abundance because they're doing something with what they have. This is a universal principle, and we understand it. If you refuse to exercise, you don't get more muscle, nor do you keep the muscle you have, but you lose whatever you had. If you refuse to practice the piano, you don't get better at the piano, nor do you stay equally proficient at the piano. You actually forget what you used to know. You forget what you learned and you actually lose your musical skills. If you refuse to think, you don't become more intellectual. If you refuse to think, you probably become a politician. But if you refuse to think, in my country, not yours, Justine is wonderful. But, uh, but if you refuse to think, uh, you, you don't become more mentally acute nor nor do you simply stay the same but you start to lose your mental faculties now we all understand this don't we if you don't exercise you lose muscle memory if you don't practice the piano you lose musical ability if you don't exercise your mind you lose the power of intellect and yet we fail to appreciate all of these principles operate even more so in the kingdom If we don't use the opportunities God's given us, why would we expect God will give us more opportunities? It's a little bit like if we invest in a certain share portfolio and it starts losing money, we're not going to put more money into it. We're going to take the money out of that and put it into a share portfolio that is profitable and that is growing. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to get less and less and less in life? It's because they aren't using what they've already got. Have you ever noticed why some people just seem to get more and more and more? And it's just not fair. Well, it's nothing to do with what's fair or not fair. It's to do with a universal principle, use it or lose it. You know, God has the right to take away from us anything we're not investing for his glory. If that seems harsh, let me remind you again, if you invest in a certain share portfolio or stock and it's not producing, you don't shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, I'll just leave it there. No, no, you're looking for a return, so you remove it and put it somewhere more profitable into better soil. People say, well, when I get a million dollars, then I'm going to be generous. But if you can't be generous when you've got a $1,000, why would anyone invest a million dollars? On the flip side, God will give me more of whatever I'm committing to His use and to His glory. So what do you need more of this morning? Do you need more time? Well, here's a way you get more time. Take the time you have and use it with the wisdom that God gives. You need more money? Well, here's a tip. Take the money you have and use it to be a blessing to others. You need more talent and more gifting? Well, use the talent and gifting you have in the service of other people and you'll see how God will start to multiply what He's already given you. Whatever you need more of, start using it in the service of others and whatever you sow, you will reap. It's a kingdom law that whatever you have apply it and God will give you more let me give you the seventh law of the kingdom this is making sense this morning number seven it's the law of reward the law of reward says God will reward me for good management Matthew 25 verse 21 his Lord said to him well done good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What an amazing thing that God looks at this servant and he says, you are faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you a master over many things. Enter in. This shows the heart of God. You know, the book of Chronicles says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro. I uh, have often thought about the fact that God is watching. And normally when we talk about the fact that God is watching, it's with that sort of, God is watching. I heard about a, a Bible college where the students were living on site and uh, they had a bit of a problem uh, because um, people kept, as they went to the uh, serving area for meals, uh, there was a, a big, um, uh, big uh, basket of chocolates and people kept on taking far more than they were supposed to. And so uh, the caterer, Uh, just put a little sign above the chocolate basket to remind the Bible college students, take only one, God is watching. Solved the problem. Of course, it created another one. Uh, Someone else, uh, where the basket of apples was located, wrote a sign saying, take as many as you want, God's watching the chocolates. This idea that God is watching, typically... It makes us think he's watching with a motivation to get us. But but listen to what Chronicle says. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro across the whole earth, looking for a heart that is toward him that he might strengthen it. When God's eyes roam to and fro, he's not looking for someone breaking the rules so he can get them. He's looking for someone with a heart towards him so he can bless them. It's the law of reward. God will reward me for good management and God is not looking for rule breakers. He's looking for people with a kingdom spirit so he can reward. Matthew 6 verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you to you what an incredible thing you know it's not difficult to live the Christian life it's not difficult to succeed in the kingdom it simply means understanding a few basic principles first principle the law of ownership you've got to get this foundational everything I have belongs to God you know when you think it's yours you become afraid of losing it because when you think it's yours you've got to keep it but when I understand God owns everything Well, if God owns everything, it's his to keep, not mine. It's his to guard, not mine. It's his to be concerned about, not mine. That's why the Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord. For he cares, well, of course he cares for me. Everything I have is his. And so the law of ownership, far from being a problem for me, actually sets me free. When I resolve, everything I have belongs to God. I become the freest person in the room. Because it becomes his concern, it becomes his property, it becomes his business, and I can simply live freely while he worries and cares about all the details for me. The law of ownership, the law of entrustment was the second law we learned, and that is that God trusts me. God doesn't give you a 10 point plan, God doesn't send an angel to tell you exactly what to do. I heard about a young girl who'd been in Sunday school and they'd spent weeks learning about creation. And at the end of many weeks, the teacher decided to do a pop quiz just to see if the children had been listening. And so the teacher picked a young girl up the front who looked bright-eyed and enthusiastic and said, "Right, right, we've been learning about creation. And so who made you? And she said, Me. Well, the teacher thought, Gee, I haven't done a very good job. Or maybe she just didn't hear the question. No, no, we've been learning how God made everything. So who made you? And the little girl said, Me. And the teacher now knew that she'd heard the question so maybe she was a bit slow so so she explained again no no we, we learned about God made the stars and God made the earth and God made the animals who made you and the little girl now being a little annoyed that she was being asked for the third time said me the teacher said what do you mean she said God made me a little bit and I just grew the rest myself well that's the truth God makes us a little bit and we just grow the rest ourselves, which is an indication of the faith God has in you. It's the law of entrustment. God's trusting you. If God didn't trust you, he would have given you a roadmap. If God didn't trust you, he would have shown you the whole staircase before he asked you to take one step. But God trusts you. And so He gives you time and talent and gifting and money. And then He steps back and says, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm trusting that you will use the intellect and creativity I've given you to make something of it. God trusts you. The fact that you've got resource, the fact you've got time, the fact you've got a little ability is a sign of God's confidence in you. But the third law is the one we must always be cognizant of, the law of accountability that God will ask us to give an account, but it's with a view to increase me. God wants to see that I'm doing well with what He's given me so He can give me even more. But that means then I've got a number four, I've got to utilize what God gave me. I've got to put it to work. It's a sin to do nothing for God. It's a sin to not even try. All God is asking is that I give it a go. I wonder if 2020 could be the year where you step out in faith. There are areas in all of our lives which we've just not been utilizing. God gave you a great gift. I heard some of you during the worship this morning, man, why weren't you on stage? You were sitting there others of you. I'm so glad you weren't on stage. Just well, they should keep the microphone as far from you as possible. But if God's given you a gift, why would you keep it hidden? Why would you bury it in a hole? Why wouldn't you utilize it? Some of you are brilliant with kids. We know you're brilliant with kids because you've got your own. You think oh, The last thing I want to do is have to deal with other people's kids on Sunday. No, this is the law of utilization. Use the gift you've got. Why wouldn't you sign up for the kids' ministry and be part of that? Oh, man, i do that all week. Yeah, but why wouldn't you use the gift God's given you and the ability God's given you to, to be a blessing? Utilize the thing that God's got. Some of us have got time. Why not utilize it? Well, you know, some of us maybe have been made redundant or you're between jobs at the moment and you're a bit annoyed you've got so much time. Well, whatever the situation, why not just use what you've got no matter the circumstances in which it occurred and God can begin to bless. But that's gonna take number five, faith. It's gonna take faith. You know, we're all afraid at times. I remember desperately wanting to be a preacher but the first time I was ever asked to preach immediately out of my mouth came, no, I can't do it. It's funny how the very thing God gifts us in, the devil attaches fear to it to try to get us to do nothing. And there's areas in your life where you've long felt stirred that maybe God could utilize that. Maybe if you invested, God could bless you financially but you've not taken a step of faith because you've been afraid. Well, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. That always comes from the enemy and it's always to paralyze us, to stop us utilizing the things that God's entrusted us with. But what if in 2020, you were just to exercise some faith and say, you know what, I'm gonna have a go because I I would rather attempt something for God and fail miserably, than do nothing for God and succeed brilliantly. Number six, what was number six? The law of application. Here's the truth, whatever you apply, you get more of. So we go from strength to strength by using the strength we have. We go from faith to faith by exercising the faith that we have. And as we do that number seven, God is careful to reward us and take us from glory to glory. Can you say amen? What if in 2020 as a church, we all simply understood those seven principles? Put them to work. I honestly believe we would go from strength to strength. We'd see God move in ways we've never seen before, and we'd see our own lives incredibly rich and blessed as we just follow these simple principles of God's kingdom. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? We're going to pray. I want to pray a couple of prayers this morning. First and foremost, I want to pray that God would speak to you about areas of your life where God has blessed you, and maybe you've maybe you've started to assume that. That you own it and it's yours. And God is reminding us this morning, no, no, everything we think we own is really on loan. And and what if we were to start to use it by faith? And it's going to take some faith, but what if we did? Would it be amazing if God were to put His Spirit upon it and bless it and use it not only to help others, but then multiply even more of it in our own lives? And for every single person here, you might not be a five-talent person, you might be a one-talent person, but there's no no-talent people in this room. God has given something into your hands that you could utilize for His glory and for the blessing of other people. And if you were to do that, your own life would be incredibly enriched. Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person in this church. None of us here by accident. None of us here taking up space or making up the numbers. Every single one of us valuable and important to the work you want to do on this Capity Coast. Father, today I pray that you would speak to us about areas of our life that may be dormant. Areas of our life that may be unfruitful. Areas of our life where it just might be fallow ground, but you want to stir something up within us, that this would be the year we'd take a step of faith and begin to do something with what you've entrusted us with. Father, I thank you for the trust you put in us and the confidence that you have in us. And I pray today that you'd help us to rise up in faith and begin to step out, utilizing all you've given us for your glory. And as we do, Lord, I pray that things would go from good to great from better to better lord from strength to strength father i pray in this church that every single person might be diligent and busy about the things that you've given us and it all looks different because you've given us all different gifts and yet as we utilize what you've given us as individuals corporately we grow and increase all the more i want to pray one more prayer as as we conclude and i want to pray for every person who says james i I'm not even right with God. You know, you don't need a preacher to tell you when you're not right with God. You know that in your own heart. I never needed a preacher to tell me I wasn't right with God, but I did need someone to tell me it didn't matter who I was, where I'd been or what I'd done. God loved me. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you've been here many times. I'm not asking if you normally go to church. I'm not asking if you're religious. You may say yes to both of those. But what I'm asking is there ever been a time in your life where you stopped and made a deliberate decision to say yes to Jesus? If you've never said yes to Jesus before, in just a moment, I would love to pray for you. Here's how we're going to do it. Not now, but in a second. I'm going to ask you, if that's you, you know you're not right with God. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up high. I'll see it, acknowledge you, then you can put it down. It just helps me to know who I'm including in this prayer. And then we're all going to pray together that, as I said, no matter who you are or what's going on in your life, that God's love would come into your heart. Maybe you've already prayed a prayer like that before, but you're away from God. You need to recommit your life to Christ. You too are going to lift your hand. Say, James, that's me. I I need to recommit my life to Christ. I'll see your hand, acknowledge you, then you can put it down. And then together we're going to pray that God's grace and power would come into your heart. Just say yes to Jesus. If you've never made your peace with God, say yes to Jesus. As if you'd say no to God or wait to love and forgiveness and a destiny. Just say yes. So while every eye is closed, if that's you, you say, James, I know I'm not right with God, but I want to be. And of course you'd want to be. Why would you go another moment longer? being estranged from your Father in heaven. Say yes to Jesus. Well, every eye is closed if that's you. And the reason I'm asking you to lift your hand is because there's a lot of people here, but you matter desperately to God as an individual. And my greatest privilege in life is praying with people who just reconnect their lives with with that of God. So will every eyes closed, if that's you, real quick so I know who I'm including in this prayer. Shoot your hand up high so I can see it at the back there. God bless you. Over there, there, down the front here, over there. Young man over there, God bless you. you can put your hands down once I've seen you. Right up the back, right up there. God bless you. On the aisle here, young lady there, God bless you. you, can put your hand down. Whole lot of people just saying yes to Jesus this morning. I love that. Is there one more person before we pray? I don't want to miss anyone out. You matter desperately to God. Let me see your hand real quick, then we're gonna pray. Last opportunity. Is there one more person? God loves you right up in the back corner I don't know anything about you but I know God loves you He's got a great plan and purpose for you I'm so glad I waited you were worth waiting for come on why don't we all stand to our feet this morning right where we are I'm not going to ask you to come forward it's all right. you can stay where you are in your seat but if you lifted your hand I do want to include you in this prayer and so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray and I want you to pray out loud after me we'll all pray together so you won't feel self-conscious but if you lifted your hand and say you know what I'm not right with God but I want to be The Bible says if we believe in our heart and admit with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, now if Jesus is Lord, guess who's not? You. If Jesus is God, guess who's not? You. And our problem has always been that we carry on like we are the center of the universe. To become a Christian is not to agree with a whole lot of doctrinal beliefs. It's not to agree to go to church every Sunday, though we do have doctrinal beliefs and we go to, do go to church. To become a believer is simply to admit, I'm not God, you are. Sorry for acting like I am. I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to let you be God. And in that moment, the Bible says it's such a profound change of perspective. It's like being born all over again. And so for all those people, seven or eight people who lifted their hands, we're going to pray out loud. If you believe in your heart and admit with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Something changes on the inside that makes you different forever. Let's close our eyes so we can focus. Now let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. I know you love me. You proved it when you died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me. From this day on, I put my faith and trust, not in myself, in You. Help me, I pray. Amen. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, where there's been guilt and shame, may they know Your love and forgiveness. Lord, where they felt alone, I thank You that You never leave us or forsake us. Father, where they felt confused about things, I pray, shine the light of Your Word on their path. Cause their steps to be upheld. Lord, I pray, give them direction and purpose. Father, I pray today would be a landmark moment in their life. They would never be the same again. Father, I pray for every person in our church this week. May we live every moment cognizant of the fact that you are trusting us because you've invested so much in our lives. We have so much opportunity. May we utilize everything you've given us to your glory that the Capite Coast would be different, would be better because the church of Jesus was here and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name.